Hello and welcome to A New Kind of Goer. My name is Dan Stewart and the host of this podcast, which is produced by GoCore, a nonprofit missionary mobilization organization committed to helping Christian college graduates use their degree overseas for two years, live on mission, and share the gospel among the least reached. Those who take the leap with GoCore are called goers, and this podcast is a platform for these goers to share their experience of deciding to go overseas after graduation. In this episode, we'll be talking to Laura, who's a kinesiology major who served in China on the medical track, working with disabled orphans. She'll talk about how when she first heard about her chosen placement, her spirit was immediately on fire for it. She'll share a couple funny stories about not eating well her first few months because she didn't know how to buy things, and being run down by a local just to be requested to teach them English. She'll talk about what it's like to share the gospel in a foreign language, and teaching physical therapy in a culture where it really doesn't exist and about bringing one of her roommates, a local, to Christ. All right, let's get into it. So if you would please uh, tell me where you're from and uh, what your educational background is. I'm from Texas. Um, And my education background is mostly kinesiology. I went to three different colleges, so it was a little jumbled. All for kinesiology? Um, Different things. Pre-physical therapy, kinesiology, fitness and wellness. Gotcha. Um, Mostly, though, it was every college's version of pre-physical therapy. Cool. So could you give me the dictionary definition of kinesiology, please? It is the study of movement of the body. Sweet. Thank you. So when you first felt called to go overseas and, you know, when you first felt that tug anyway, Mm -hmm. what was it like and what was the journey of accepting that tug, that call, that pull? Well, I guess I could say that for me it was a little bit different because it wasn't – I didn't only feel called to a place – and I realized once I was on the field that a lot of people are feel called to a place. Um, but it was not long after I accepted Christ that I realized that missions was, um, in general, was a big thing for me. It was just sharing the gospel. So um, I knew that missions was a big deal for me long before I graduated college. Um, and so it was just kind of more of a serious thing that I was pursuing um, Quite, quite a while before I graduated. So it wasn't actually until I was going through the process with GoCore that I found um, my placement, which ended up being China. Gotcha. So when you when you were accepted the fact that you were going to do this, what, what was that? I mean, that's a journey in itself to like realize that you're going to go overseas and right. you're going to give you know time and energy. Right. And was there an acceptance process or was it actually pretty easy? Like, sweet, let's go. There was. Um, so there was like a six, it was like six months of Gosh, yeah. Applications. I like looked through different organizations. Um, so the cool thing about GoCore is that you apply and then they kind of do all the Googling for you. You know, they look up the different organizations for you. Well, I was already kind of doing that pre GoCore. So I had a little taste of that mess um, <laughs> and that confusion, just still kind of knowing, like, Lord, I know you want me to do this. Um, but what does it look like? And there's so many options. 
yeah, so I was already kind of in that mess, and then I found GoCore. So um, once I was accepted through GoCore, I was already really pretty far into the process of, like, I'm really pursuing this seriously. Gotcha. Um, and at that point, I just kind of, like, released it to God to, like, okay, if these doors keep opening, um, you know, I had people around me that were kind of affirming this happening in my life. So it was like once I was accepted with GoCore, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is really happening and had people following up with me about, okay, let's get your place. And our thing is that you're going to be on the field by fall. So that was pretty cool. It was pretty crazy for me to wrap my head around. But at that point, I'd already been like, okay, God, like you're in charge. You're leading each step. So that was pretty, it was pretty cool. Was it a definite kind of walk of faith, like an unusual walk of faith that people might not typically experience unless they choose that approach? You know, I think what I found once I got to the field was that um, most people pursue the place, you know, like I said before. Mm -hmm. So I think with that, it was it was almost like I was going in blind a little bit more than people around me. But I think once God puts that call in your heart, it's like I knew I knew I was called to missions and I just continued um, just following God's guiding and leading through circumstance and prayer and, you know, the people around me that were praying for me and just really affirming like, yeah, Tana, this is, this is great. This is what you need to keep, continue doing. I'm also praying for you in this. Um, but yeah, but then once I, I was actually having a, a interview type me, kind of meeting with, um, one of the GoCore staff and she was talking about the placements and she started telling me about the one I was interested in, which was a college arts um, like program director on a college campus doing campus ministry to Muslim background um, type area. I'd be have to learn French, I believe. And she was just talking about it and it was, all sounded great. And I was like, wow, I have a back, background in dance. So I was like, I would get to use that, um, do campus ministry, um, which was super cool. And I was like coming out of that background. Um, so I was just, it was, it was nice. It was going along. The interview was fine. The placement seemed like it was coming out well. I was just jotting down notes and then we got to the end of it and she was like, okay, sounds great. This sounds like you. And so, um, you know, are you cool with it? Do you say yes? You know, any questions? And I was like, you know, like not really, but do you have any other places or any, was there anything else that you thought would be right for me and she's like well there's this one other thing and she was maybe like 30 seconds into telling me about it before like I don't know I just felt so like lit on fire by the Holy Spirit and she just started talking about the work being done there that had been done um, just the foundation that the team had already had laid there and I don't know it was just in that moment the Holy Spirit just really like set my heart on fire and I was just like whoa <laughs> like this is so cool to know like in this moment absolutely like the Holy Spirit was like, Tana, this is your place. Like, hmm. you know, don't let this slip out of your hands kind of thing. Don't be scared was like the feeling that I had. So I was just like, wow, this is so cool to, I had that moment. I know not everybody gets that like on fire moment, but it was cool that I did get to have it. And it was, it was actually a really cool blessing from God um, to know that I would need that later on. Yeah. Um, but I actually said yes to that. I was like, hey, this is it. Like, I don't know that other one. No, like, this is it. This is the place. Mm. And um, the lady was like, really? And I was like, yeah, this is it. Absolutely. Where is it again? <laughs> and she was like, um, it's actually in this city. And I think she said the name of the city wrong. And I was like, <laughs> I was just like Asia, really? Asia? Huh. Okay, cool. Like, that's where God wants me. And she's like, that's not any, that's not like, 
okay, cool. Like, you're going here, I guess. So then we, like, changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she did have that on her radar for me, but it was just really cool how the Holy Spirit was just kind of leading me to, like, ask. Hmm. And then, um, yeah, just that moment. It reminded me of, like, in Jeremiah where he talks about, like, my bones are on fire if I don't Hmm. speak about you. So... Yeah, it was just in that moment I was like on fire for that, and it was really cool. A big part of going overseas is support raising. Yes. And it's probably one of the things that stops people the most. Yes. What were the ups and downs of support raising for you? There were a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Yeah, I think they say like the two main reasons people don't go to the field or leave the field is money and relationships. So um, I actually, it took me a little longer to fundraise than um, some of the other people that I was in like a small group with. Um, but it, I don't know, it was just a way to see God work. It was a way that on this side of the ocean, I could see God being faithful to me by being obedient to him. Um, so that was really neat to go into each fundraising meeting, not knowing how it would turn out, but just having to trust God, trust the time to God, trust the money to God. Um, and just know that like, I had my call to know that like, okay, I know he wants me over there. He's going to bring this to fruition. So that was cool to have that. And you, I feel like it should have helped me a lot more (laughs) and made me a lot more confident. Um, but I was still nervous before I would go to those meetings, um, and ask people to join my team. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of times it was like pre-meeting, I was nervous, no matter what. After the meetings, I was always on this high of like, yes, you know, the Lord is working and bringing people together in these cool ways. Um, And then there's times where people say no. And then even in those moments, I was like, wow, like they said no, but no one was ever like mad at me. Or, you know, I think we imagine these really crazy things happening, but really it's just a conversation. And then people are like, yes or no, or maybe, and that's just how it goes. So I think um, it was definitely a growing time, and I think um, once I got to the field, it was cool to know, like, hey, God got you here um, financially, knowing that it wasn't up to me to make money doing a job or something. I had that, um, just that foundation of prayer support and financial support to say, like, all these people are on my team. Yeah, definitely. If you could anyway, could you not, you don't have to be overly specific if you don't want to, but as specific as you can, a a really difficult part of support raising that you experienced and a really awesome, exciting part of support raising that you can look back on and either way you saw God working it, but you know, that you could highlight for for me. Um, As far as disappointment, I just remember this one meeting in particular where um, it was, I was speaking to a group that was, you know, the connection was made through a friend. And I showed up and I was ready, of course, a little nervous. And it didn't help that I thought I lost a shoe (laughs) before I got to the interview or the meeting or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) because I drove without my shoes on. I see. Anyways, but yeah. That sounds cool. (laughs) I mean, not, but kind of. Yeah, so I get there and I'm nervous, whatever. I get ready. I go in and I'm meeting with these businessmen and thinking, okay, like, they're not going to, you know, donate this big fat check or something like that. But, like, connections can be made. God can work in this moment. Um, so I go in, and it was just a little disappointing to think, like, wow, out of um, a big group of people, like, um, I just kind of got platitudes from them as far as, like, just nice 
things said as far like, oh, good for you. And so it was really disappointing, not so much for the financial reasons, but just obviously like the lack of interest in missions. Because at that point in my life, and I think, you know, in anyone who's fundraising, like they are, you know, fighting daily <laughs> to die to themselves and do these things and do what it takes to get to the field. And, you know, then you are faced with a group of people that are like, well, good for you. A little pat on the head. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it didn't help, too, that it was, you know, these people were like my dad's age. Mm-hmm. And so I even felt a little bit like yeah. a little kid. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that really was great. <laughs> so more positive one then. Um, more positive. Well, I guess just like overall, the amount of people that I met, you know, just like the major portions of my um, – support overall work came from people who um didn't know me and they just were so um for what god was doing that they um that these connections were made and they put forth not just their you know time or you know interest but they were they put their money (laughs) um towards it as well and just seeing those things come together completely in god's timing and just through his working by, you know, putting these people who live far away um, in my path. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, the two, I'm thinking of the two main people that contributed to my financial support were people that I was not very close with. Um, they are just kind of acquaintances or friends of friends. And, um, yeah, they were just, it wasn't about me. It was about the work being done, and that was, I mean, that was so good to see because in those moments it gives you freedom to say, like, it's not about me. (laughs) You know, they're not saying yes or no to me. They're saying yes or no to, you know, the work being done and what God's doing. Um, So it kind of takes the pressure off. But those are definitely positives. Yeah, definitely. The money came in. (laughs) Very affirming realization that not only do you know what you're doing, but other people get it. Yeah. It's huge. Definitely. So you mentioned earlier that uh, when you found out that there was a position that you wanted to do in Asia, mm-hmm. you were like, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, what yeah. made you just, what, what was the attraction to going to that part of the world? Um, actually, so I feel a little bad when I start saying this, but I'm like, I actually, in my heart, like in my selfish heart, <laughs> was like anywhere but Asia. Anywhere but Asia. Like I didn't want to go to Asia. I saw myself in Africa. Um like in hot deserty weather because I'm from Texas. So uh-huh. I thought like, you know, something that I'm used to, you know, or maybe Europe, I don't know. So I just didn't see myself in Asia. And yeah, so really the attraction was, had nothing to do with the place. It had everything to do with like the Holy Spirit convicting me in that moment. Um, and then too, there was even like, I had a realization in that moment that like, okay, if I do go to this other placement, I just feel like I would have been selfish about my time and um, the things I would be pursuing where um, the placement in Asia was more about serving and just kind of, you know, I didn't even realize where it was (laughs) when she first said. Um, So, yeah, I was that person that was blindly like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Go to a place I can't say their name. It's too complicated. (laughs) I mean, no matter where I went, I was going to have to learn a language. That's true. Speaking of learning language, yeah. tell me about settling into this place that you went. Because obviously you're going from, wait, were you just out of college when you, before you went or did you have a time range? 
Yeah, I had traveled a little bit during college and taken like a time off during college, but I had just finished. Gotcha. My so ba- so basically you weren't you were literally months at best away from college yeah. before you decided to go overseas. So yeah, or yeah. before you were going to and all the spur raising and all that stuff. So tell me a little bit about like settling in and dealing with culture shock and all that and, and like building relationships, language learning. It's a lot of stuff. But wherever whatever stands out to you most of them there. Uh, I'm talking like even just your first three months. Right. What was that like? It happened. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. It all happened. Yeah, so I actually didn't start learning the language intensely until about four months in. Okay. And I don't know if that helped me or hurt me, but that's how it happened. So um, So did you, what did you do leading up to that? Um, I had like a tutor, but that forced me to like go out and make friends. Just to be like, hey, you want to learn English? I'll, you know, you teach me Mandarin and I'll teach you English. Mm-hmm. So it did. It kind of forced me to make connections with people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, culture oh. shock definitely happened. Um, I'm thinking of the first three months. I just, I lost a lot of weight because I didn't know how to eat food. Like, didn't know how to buy food. Didn't know how to. So you starved, we essentially? Starved a little bit. Me and my roommate, we thought okay. we were okay because we like, we're like, oh, we know how to buy ramen noodles and, um, or like the equivalent right. of these like fast foods kind of things. Um, we're like, oh, we have rice. We have They don't noodles. have McDonald's there you could just go to? They do, but I don't eat McDonald's in America. So fair enough. Like, fair enough. No, that's there. fair. Yeah, so. Even if you're starving, why would you do McDonald's? Well, and I think the thing was too, I was like just so overwhelmed and just had so much like stimulation of okay. like these new things that I didn't realize I was like kind of starving <laughs> the first few months. So that happened. It was about three months in before I finally was like talking to my team leader's wife and was just like, "Where do you buy beef or pork? Like, how They're do like, you do what? it? Like, where do you go to buy this?" And she was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> have you not been eating any red meat?" Like, no, oh, it's man. not that big Did you of feel deal. tired most of those time, those few three months? Or, I mean, yeah, it's pretty exhausting. Um, but I think when you first get there, it's like adrenaline and mm-hmm. something that now I've kind of been telling other people is like, you, like, chill out, you know, when you first get there, like, don't expect so much from yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I think, especially coming from America, we get into these other cultures and we're like, why can't I do? 20 things in one day (laughs) well you don't have a car and (laughs) you know you don't know where you're going you don't speak the language why would you be able to do all these things yeah so I think those first three months for me were definitely like adjusting to that realization of like I can't not only can I not do everything but I can't do like anything (laughs) so just kind of realizing that and giving myself grace that was kind of the cycle of the first three months was there any like settling in stuff like in general like it was was it obviously you're you're acclimating yourself but like was it a slower acclimation process than you thought it would be or would it was it i won't say it was fast but was it definitely was a lot more was it a lot more work than you anticipated right um i think it was just like i was going into a culture that was so different that i just up front in my face kind of realized like this is not home <laughs> like yeah. this is not what I'm used to um so it was like once I from there anything that felt nice or like oh I like this food or um oh this is a nice you know time to sit with a friend or something like that then um it came as a real like blessing or a treat and I recognized it so I think it was maybe a little quicker hmm. 
of an adjustment than maybe if you were to step into a culture that was similar. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of don't realize that you're going through <laughs> a hard time. Yeah. But yeah, so I think it was it was pretty quick, and I had an awesome team. Excellent segue into yeah. this question. <laughs> when it comes to team, yeah. uh, what was the process of fitting into your team and learning to work together? So my team was pretty cool. When I came in, they had just gone through like a change, a shift um, in dynamics, which is the way of life mm-hmm. um, overseas. So hmm. my team consisted of two big families, um, and at the time there was one other intern. Um, and she had gotten there maybe three weeks before I did. So once I got there, she was like, you know, the veteran and she showed me how to do anything. And that's kind of why we didn't eat a lot for the first few <laughs> weeks. <laughs> our experience base was not so I see. Um, wide. And our team was starting, you know, with these new interns coming, we were starting campus work. So we actually lived kind of far away from the rest of the team. Um, so we didn't see them all the time. Uh, but... Yeah, so fitting in with them, for me, I just, I had no other choice. These are my people. So I was like, hey, um, I'm going to be a part of your family now. Mm-hmm. I'll be at your house a lot. <laughs> and thankfully, they were okay with that. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, I just kind of became a part of their family, families. and mm-hmm. um, What was it like working together? I mean, even the first three months or six months um, or whatever. It was a little, I would say, exciting for me because I had the freedom to they gave me the freedom to kind of be like, okay, like decide where you're going to invest. Um, cause I was like, the, I was a, you know, first go core intern coming to the team. Um, there was this other short termer that was there. Um, but she was kind of more of a focused work. And so it was kind of cool for them to be like, okay, like explore your options. Here's some ideas, here's some guidelines. Um, but I really had freedom to explore whether I wanted to do, um, like working with orphans or if I really wanted to invest in campus ministry um, and then just seeing what else popped up because, I mean, it's true, like the, the need is overwhelming anywhere, mm-hmm. um, especially there where there's so many people. There was definitely not a lack of things I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was fun working together because it was just more of like a supervisory you know, here's some guidelines, here's, you know, what you could start with, mm-hmm. um, and support. So tell me about language learning and what it was like to do that <laughs> whole thing. It was cool. I guess it was crazy going from like America college and being like, oh, I hang out with international students in America, but then to go to another country and be the international student. <laughs> I was like, That's I a- that's yeah. a 180 of, of realization. Yeah. yeah, it was. And it I wasn't counting on it. So it was like once I realized, like, I'm the international student right now, mm. that, that was kind of fun. And um, I don't know. Maybe I haven't fully processed that yet. But um, yeah, so my classmates were from Africa, from Korea, from from both Koreas, North and South, from Russia, a lot of um, some Polish friends, Vietnamese friends. Yeah, from all over Malaysia everywhere so yeah got to know a lot of cool people and had fun teachers definitely got to pull the american card because you know there wasn't so many americans in the program ever um so to come in and be like yeah everybody's interested in like america tell me about america Mm. um you were like the popular kid in class weren't you well yeah and like the jokester (laughs) Um, but I did study hard, so thankfully it balanced out. <laughs> um, but for some reason over there, it's like this every time, like if you're late 
or if you didn't do your homework or something, there's punishment. Mm. But it's usually like come sing in front of the class oh, okay. or do a dance in front of the class. Gotcha. So it's like something silly to make yourself look silly. Silly. Yeah. It's not like horrible, but right. it's like embarrassing. Right. I didn't really have a problem with it. So I, you you had to deal with that a couple yeah, times. Yeah, I had to deal with that a couple of times, but usually ended up like okay for 15 minutes. Let's all do the macaroni, everybody. Right. So usually <laughs> turn into just like you know joke time sure sure yeah gotcha so i mean was the language was it hard to learn yeah what was so hard about it definitely everything (laughs) i mean i don't know the actual stats but i think people say like going from an english background to a chinese background Mm -hmm. uh mandarin background or like from vice versa mandarin to english is one of the hardest. They all say that about every language, though, it seems like. No, I don't know. I was just talking to my I, friend, and she was like, Hungarian is, like, number five. And I'm like, is there really a list somewhere? Uh, yeah, there might be, yeah. Yeah. I've heard, also heard the, Eng- the English language is the hardest language to learn from every other perspective around right, the world. So right, right, whatever. right. Yeah. It it's all difficult. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not easy. There's – I don't know. I think I went into language learning, like, the actual classes after four months of – just struggling out in the real world trying to get in a taxi and then them yelling at me because <laughs> i don't know how to say where i want to go yeah. and i'm trying to say it the way i think is correct uh-huh. but i mean the most minor so difference so, changes the whole word no right and so yeah. in those situations like people might think listening to this they'll be like whoa that would freak me out i wouldn't know what to do or to say i wouldn't i would right. i wouldn't i would just clam up or i, uh-huh. I would just run away I don't know, whatever they'd have I would a just lot run away. <laughs> A lot of possible scenarios from that. Like, what was your response to that when you were in those situations? It was different. It just depended. Um, I I had what ended up being called my taxi stress. So uh, I was like, my answer to this was to ride my bike everywhere. <laughs> or take, you know, the subway okay. or the bus or somewhere where I didn't have to communicate with anyone mm-hmm. um, until I was comfortable speaking with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people, man, they would get in a taxi and just show them, like, a piece of paper that had their address on it and just wait for them to take them. And there was no, I don't know, awkwardness. And or you didn't write your it down because why tension i did try that sometimes but i don't know i was just too nervous sometimes sometimes it works sometimes it depends on the driver it depends on the driver and then sometimes they're like oh you know how to say three words so then i'm just going to start talking to you and ask you where you're from and how old you are and how much you weigh and you know if you're married and do you want to be married they ask you how much you weigh all the time all the time how much money you make that's weird the most think of like the most personal questions you don't ask people in america and those are the first questions (laughs) that you know you're sitting next to this taxi driver like what i don't even know what you're saying Uh, yeah i mean it's a good way to at least you knew then that well you eventually it's a good way to realize what you need to know right and then you start learning those things and Mm -hmm. you know how to not answer those those or give them weird answers or or, yeah it was fun once it got to the point where i could answer right and I could kind of be funny and, you know, just kind of play around with it. Not sure. be, you know, it wasn't like a kind of super scared or like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? It was just more of like, yeah, I'm from Russia or, you know, just could come up with silly answers. Sure. So, I mean, aside from language learning and being fun, the point of you being there was to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So... Yeah. What was it like to share the gospel over in, in a different language overseas like that? 
so cool. <laughs> um, I don't know. The like, first time it happened for me, it was so cool because I think when you're doing it in another language, um, it's like you almost have to be even more reliant on the Holy Spirit. It's not like you have to be. You absolutely have to be. Absolutely. But, yeah, it's hard to describe, I guess, as anything where you're talking about, you know, the Holy Spirit and, like, tuning in and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, but I was helping with a English corner in the church, so it was safe and all that. And just talking to people, and people were asking questions, and it came down to, like, you know, somebody needed an answer, but English wasn't going to portray the message um, because they needed it in their language. And so I had the words, and I'd been practicing, and it was so cool to not only realize that it was coming out of my mouth, but to see that it was clicking for them, um, that those words meant more to them than my English words. Um, so that was super, I don't know, I don't want to just say fun. It was fun and exciting, and um, it was just such a blessing to me. Uh, it was like I was hearing the gospel mm-hmm. for the first time yeah. in this new language coming out of my mouth. Wow. Um, it was just really cool. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, definitely a, a Holy Spirit thing to just – because sometimes when you're, you know, I feel like people struggle with finding the words to share the gospel in English. Right, right, right? exactly. You know, so then, to their fellow English speakers. <laughs> right, so it's like we both are speaking the same language. Yeah. It's hard enough. Um, yeah. But then to trust the Holy Spirit to give you the right words in a mm. foreign language. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, I think it makes you trust more. And it, I think you really get to see God fill that gap. Definitely a cool thing. Definitely a cool thing. Once I did it, though, I think I was like, I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> Who's next? Who's next? <laughs> Line them up. Yeah. All right. So um, that's the spiritual side of this. The more practical side of yeah. your ministry. How were you able to use your skills and education and passion to minister to people or overseas? Yeah, I came over thinking that I would be doing mostly um, campus ministry and compassion work with orphans. Um, via physical therapy opportunities. Um, But I was the first person to come over with physical therapy knowledge um, that was going to be there for an extended period of time. Um, So it was kind of like unforeseen kind of situation. How's this going to go? We don't know how it's going to play out. There wasn't anyone waiting for me to get there and then give me a list of jobs to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So practically it just looked like me – Initially, I just met with foster families, um, with uh, the orphans and the kiddos, and um, just kind of giving any kind of advice I could about basic physical therapy, Mm. stuff like um, positioning and using walkers or shoes or braces, these things that are pretty pretty basic, um, stuff that even people who have any like have ever been through physical therapy or have a friend who's done physical therapy might know here. Mm -hmm. Um, In China, they don't even have like a word that translates into physical therapy. So Mm. um, they just don't have any of that. Take note of that physical therapist out there who wants to serve overseas. Yeah, any kind of therapist. Yeah, some people in parts of the world don't even use that. They don't even know what that means. Right. And they need it desperately, right? Yeah, they do. uh, So, yeah, did you – you got to see – you know, your skill set, your your knowledge base or whatever, 
be able to use really practically. How did people take to that? Did they, did they, were they really, really like, whoa, that's awesome. Taste just more. Or were they like, are you kidding me, lady? What's up with this? It was, (laughs) it was um, both because it's like some people who were in need of it, they really appreciated it and they would definitely be willing to learn more, listen more. Um, Yeah. But then, and then there were some people who maybe a short term, a uh, doctor had come over before, um, seen them, told them the same thing, and they're like, yeah, 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 I've heard it before, it doesn't help. And I'm like, well, you got to do it more than once, you know. So these types of things, like it was, every situation was different. And I was really, um, you know, I would do stuff with kids, I would do stuff with expats, I would do stuff with people on the street. They'd be like, oh, you know about this? Like my arm hurts. You know, what do I do? <laughs> or, you know, college students that were like, how do I lose weight or how do I gain muscle? Hmm. These types of questions, random questions. Do you have um, a thing called a gym? <laughs> yeah. No. They do have gyms. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they it was always different. Um, the best part was when it got to help somebody, when I could see like, hey, this person actually um, is going to benefit from the advice that I gave them. Um, and I could just see like more than practically, like this advice did help them. Um, it's something that they didn't know. And just the fact that like God brought me here and, um, otherwise they may not have, you know, figured this out today. Sure. Yeah. So Mm. what were some of the highlights of serving overseas? Highlights. Um, I would say some of the highlights were people just definitely like traveling with friends. I'm always definitely that person that's like, if I'm going to go alone somewhere, like, I'd rather not. Like, <laughs> it's really about, like, doing something. You could do something stupid with a good friend, and that's, like, a really great memory rather than going somewhere really cool by yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely a relational person. So, yeah, some of the most, I think, the best highlights are mostly with people. Sharing the gospel with people, my friends who came to know Christ, discipling people, and just... You know, those moments where I did get to share the gospel in another language, those were definitely highlights because, you know, I was there to do that. And there was cool things like food and fun and traveling. Um, but I think what really sticks out is, you the know. parts those, where you're able to fulfill your purpose. Yeah, where I there. was really, you know, fulfilling my call. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those were the bigger moments for me. Can you name one specifically that sticks out to you? Uh, well, we just talked about the first time I got to share the gospel um, Anything else? in Mandarin. Um, seeing my friend come to Christ um, was really cool. We had a um, Good Friday event at the local the local church, and it was afterwards that she came over mm-hmm. and asked questions. And it was just she had lived with me previously and just gotten to know me Um was open to it, but hadn't really um, considered it seriously. Uh, the Lord was just working on her heart and preparing her. Mm-hmm. And then um, being able to just sit in my house with her and share that moment with her comfortably. And she was a friend. And to realize, like, this isn't just a stranger. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sharing the gospel <laughs> with strangers. Um, right. But, yeah, just like loving her as a friend and then sharing the gospel with her and then seeing her come to Christ and then having her now as a sister mm-hmm. in Christ is that was such a big highlight for me um so you led someone to Christ is what you're saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah just that seeing that friendship too in the time 
mm-hmm. you know, that couldn't have been there had I not gone. Was she pretty receptive already to that, or what was what was that like for her on her end that you you saw? Like, was um, it? She's always searching. Like, mm-hmm. so when I first met her, it was more of like a, oh, I want to hang out with a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So she was definitely um, young and into like American culture and that kind of type of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it was she was definitely ready to be friends. Um, so she went to church a couple times, started listening to just kind of the content, which um, it's definitely very controlled what gets to be said in churches. So um, she heard that type of edited content a few times and then asked questions. And this was just a special event. And the Lord had just put her in a place where she was asking questions and ready to hear. It was probably a year after I you know, got to meet her. So we'd been friends for a while. We were roommates for a few months. And what was her background? Um, she was a college student. So she was um, not a local, but she was a national and she had been living there. She was a senior in college. So what was her spiritual background? Or was she um, China, China's mostly atheist, right? Buddhist, atheist okay. and some like folk kind of oh like animist or something um like that. yeah just like ancient okay. traditional but yeah so it's like where people they do these like little acts of things it's not so much idol worship it's very ritualistic yeah kind of a little bit yeah and it's kind of faded in the last maybe 30 okay. years her family had a little bit more of like that folk traditional because she was from the west okay. um her family was from the west but her she i mean she was she reminded me a lot of like a just a agnostic, maybe secular American, like young, you know, 20 something. It must have been pretty rewarding, but also being able to like, you know, clearly see that if you weren't there, she would have maybe not heard about it or at least, in the, you know, it would have been a different story, obviously. Possibly. Yeah, I was super grateful just to see God use me as her friend. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. just the fact that I got to be her friend. Was yeah. Super cool. Um, yeah. And we're still friends Those just she's definitely one of the people that i'm gonna miss for sure not being over there cool so kind of a broader question and you kind of just answered it but let's go broader than that answer how did you see god work in your life while serving in my life yes um life. i i think every day this is something that i don't know it was just more of a general more of a broad thing was yeah. just that every day i was pushed to the limit of like my comfort zone. So I had to rely on God every day, which is, I think in America, we get really comfortable and um, we don't get really comfortable. We are really comfortable. We are. Yeah, we are. We're comfortable. Things are easy. This is what feels natural to us. And so unless that's challenged, then I think sometimes we can go a long time without questioning that. So once I got there, it was like every day just to do simple tasks like go to the grocery store. Like I'm not trying to go out and evangelize anyone. I'm just trying to eat. (laughs) And I'm having to rely on the strength of God to like get me outside to just be like, okay, I'm going to be safe. I trust you, Lord. You're going to give me the words Um, not to share the gospel, but to just order my food you know so these simple tasks and just really it gave me the perspective of how everything is from god just every day is from god every meal is from god um just his provision and his gifts so i think that was just something that 
I think is a blessing because now that I'm back stateside, it's like I have that to hold on to and these reminders um, to just say, okay, Tana, don't get comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like remember how hard it was. So how did you see God at work in the country you were serving in in ways that might surprise people? I was expecting there to be less less Christians. So I think there were more more people sharing than I thought there would be. That absolutely does not mean that they don't still need more. <laughs> but um, I felt like there was just a more of an established community there than I was expecting. And it partially was because of the city I was in. So that was part of it. But then to, to see like faithful um, national believers also being like, hey, I have a heart to go. Um, so having people ask questions about like, I want to like, what's, how's it, what's a good way to travel to this place? Or, um, what are your thoughts on leaving home to go here? So it's cool to have those kinds of questions from, um, once I was over there from like the natives and Mm. from my friends and stuff. Anything else you might surprise people Mm. about serving or what God is doing overseas? overseas. God is doing so much. (laughs) He's doing so much. So, I mean, it's hard to say. I think, yeah, it's, he's doing so much that I feel like you go and you know that he's working, but I feel like every little thing is like, wow, yeah, that happened. Mm. So all the little victories, they're super cool and surprising sometimes. So, mm. yeah, he is doing big things in that part of the world. Mm. And I think a lot of, t- we have these preconceived notions coming from America that I feel like no matter where you go, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> so I think, yeah, once until you've stepped into a culture and then f- long after, you know, you're, you're going to continue being surprised by what it's actually like and what God's doing there. For sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So in light of that, how receptive to the gospel were the people you were ministering to, would you say? What Was there different levels of receptivity? Was it, yeah. Absolutely. I think I would talk to people that had never heard anything about Christianity all the way to people who had read the Bible and were asking questions and knew Christians. Um, So, yeah, the level like the spectrum was really wide. And I think, too, like when you step into that type of job or, you know, situation as a missionary, like, um, you know, God brings people to you that are looking for answers. So, you know, he pairs up the people looking for the people that are, you know, looking for people to tell. So, yeah, there was there was definitely a wide spectrum, though, all over the board. Yeah. And I also, too, like I was an international student, so I was talking to people from all over the world, um, not just the locals. So, um, you know, people from Russia with different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, you know, or... Vietnam or these other places that had heard about Christ before um, and then turn around to my Chinese friend who's like never heard anything um, Mm. about it doesn't even know Jesus or the word Jesus or what is why what is Christmas like Hmm. so there were definitely some people who had never heard of Mm -hmm. any of this stuff yeah in a city of you know 10 million people you know they've they really have no and if maybe they know a cu- they have a couple of things, the stereotypes, whether they're true right. or not, like, yeah. you know, you, you don't know. Maybe they think that they've seen something and or maybe, you know, they've watched 
on a TV, like an American TV series mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and heard a couple things about, yeah. or there was a Christian on yeah. that yeah. TV series or something like sure. that, you know? So it's sort of Hollywoodized thing or, right. or, or just media based thing that mm-hmm. gives them the impression that they get and that's all they have to go off. Or right. Yeah. So, um, but a lot of times I'd meet people that had no knowledge of why do you think that is? I mean, you said that there's a lot more churches there than you thought there were. Right. So what's up with that? Um, <laughs> there's a lot more people there than, like, anywhere else in the world. So. Mm, I suppose. Um, well, not anywhere else in the world. Most uh, places, though, yeah. So even though there are more churches than I thought, there's more people than you can imagine. And then the, the poverty levels, just the economic, societal differences, they're all pretty pretty vast. So, hmm. yeah, it a person could easily grow up and go to college and not hear about those types of things. And they teach, like, in school, um, people that I'm, you know, that I was ministering to that were college age, from the time they start school, they were taught that there is no religion. Hmm. They were taught atheism. So Even, even the churches were around, or were they not around back at that time? Um, they were around-ish. So Underground, maybe, or just small? Um, yeah, there's government churches. There's government churches, house churches, three self churches. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on where they were. What their if their family would, didn't have it in their background, then mm-hmm. they probably definitely didn't hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they came from any type of um, like poor middle class background, then you know, and they weren't given access to mm-hmm. TV or books or these other things, which were then heavily controlled by the government. So, you know, they just, those things exist, but they didn't have access to them. So that's why we consider it like a least reached part of the world in a sense, because the access is extremely limited. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people there that it... That but, and the government doesn't allow and it. And the government doesn't allow it. <laughs> right. So, well, and, and you know, it's messy. <laughs> <laughs> True. It, it's messy. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of different reasons why it's a... We live in a broken world, yeah. so yeah. But yeah. that's why God, mm-hmm. you know, He needs people of all different backgrounds to go reach people from all different backgrounds. Ooh, good, good one, right there. <laughs> that's a that's a one liner. Remember that. Keep that in your head, listeners. Take that with you. Absolutely. One question I have, and, and I don't know if it relates as much to Asia and China. I know mm-hmm. there's there's hostilities, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But were there dangers? Were there ever real? Any, did you ever like feel in danger in any way um, while you were there? So I wouldn't say in like the big like conspiracy theory way. No, I did not ever feel. I actually mostly felt more uh, more safe than like as far as like you know walking at night somewhere in danger um, because it is a communistic country. So you know people are walking around with guns really so I felt safer in that sense almost I wasn't didn't ever really find myself worried about that and maybe that was just a really you know big gift from God um for my time there but then there would be things like nearly getting hit by cars or you know poor construction people falling in Mm. manholes billboards falling down these different you so know, just practical, silly, clumsy yeah. happenings. Yeah. They happen here in America too, though. So Right. I mean, probably do. anyway. Um, traffic's a little different. So that was kind of weird getting used to. 
but I did get used to it. And so, what and was so weird about traffic? Um, they don't follow the traffic laws really. And do they have traffic laws? <laughs> they do. They actually there are traffic laws, and they're really similar to American traffic laws. Um, they drive on the right side of the road, but you know, if you want to go, you just go. <laughs> If you want to stop, you just stop. Gotcha. <laughs> they use their horns. It's very much like that loud, honking, dirty kind of pollution type image. Like, that's real. <laughs> that's all very real. That's not just made up on TV. That's it's, not made up on TV. It's, it's real. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, like, if you need to get across the street, you just have to run across the street and not get hit by a car. So. Gotcha. Listen to that. If you go anywhere in, in Asia, always look <laughs> both ways before you go. And then look both ways as you're going. As you're going. So. Yep. All right, so what sort of approaches did you and your team pursue to show the gospel in a way that the culture, you know, would be able to understand it, do you think? Um, well, there are two major ways. You know, I think, you know, in in living cross-culturally, you always have to be willing to change and willing to learn a new thing, learn a new way and adapt. But the two ways that we really focused on were campus ministry and compassion ministry with orphans. So just reaching college students, teaching them English, hanging out with them, doing regular campus ministry. Um, yeah, and every person's different. So especially when you're on a college campus, that was a new thing for our team. So now that they had people coming that were going to be on campus again, uh, making friends with that age of um, students, that was kind of a new thing. Um, so yeah, we just kind of went with it and um, if we had opportunity to have parties or you know have a gathering then we would do that as much as we could um, for the college students so that was really usually pretty easy because they want to learn English so bad I'd had you know I had a lady chase me down on her motorbike once and was like please teach my daughter English <laughs> but and I really thought I was just gonna get like run over and mugged or something um, but she was just like Please let me treat you to dinner. Why do they want to know English so much? I have um, a few theories, but what what did you experience? Um, it's it's the language of the world, you know. That's the language of the future. The whole world's gonna speak English. That's kind of the perspective. So they um, hmm. and they don't have because it's a closed country. Like they don't have, you know, just an overwhelming amount of native speakers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's a thing. Like they they. Like, oh my gosh, you're foreign. You're a native English speaker. You know, you're the real deal. Please teach my child or please teach me. So that way they can speak at least one common language anywhere they go the rest of their mm-hmm. life. Is that kind of yeah. mindset? Yeah, definitely. And most of them grow up learning it, but just like from a book. So they don't actually know how to speak it. And to have like a conversation and stuff like that. Right, like you could offer. It's totally so. different. Yeah. So that was maybe the major way for doing campus ministry. And then... The other way was just like showing, yeah, just showing the love of Christ through loving orphans. Um, yeah, so talk about that a little bit. We partnered with a medical NGO, um, yeah, a Christian medical NGO that just loved on orphans and did as much as we could for them in fostering them. So we would have events like... Um, you know, things that would support the foster families, things that would teach them about disability, um, how to care for children with disabilities, because none of that's really offered in a general public widespread thing at all. Yeah, so along with, you know, them not really having true physical therapy or physical therapists, 
you know, widespread, they don't have a widespread knowledge of disabilities. Mm -hmm. So we just really tried to tackle that front as best as we could um, while loving children. What was the result of these sorts of pursuits and these ministry opportunities and all that? A lot of conversations would come about from, like, uh, I helped a lot with a couple of families that fostered two kids. Um, so people are curious and they'll kind of like when I told you about the taxi drivers, they'll ask you anything. Mm-hmm. So they're like, that child is not the same skin color. Why not? Like what, why do you have that kid? Like what's the deal? And so then it just opened up a conversation to be like, um, well, this is an orphan and we're taking care of her or him. Did that like shock them? Did that like make him always, yeah. always? Yeah. I think it was just, Um, It definitely challenged their beliefs of, you know, someone being able to contribute to society. So it was just different for them to be like, you're loving this child when they can do nothing for you. And yeah, so some there's good and bad with that. I mean, the orphan crisis is um, complex. So there was always different things to go with that. But uh, we just did our best to engage in conversations and um, yeah, just do what we could and, and telling people like, you know, we're doing this for Christ and not to do it as like a, Oh, high and mighty. And, um, I think a lot of people too would, something that you run into is like, Oh, well, foreigners are capable and really nice. So that's why they do it. Um, (laughs) but just in a real way, being able to point back to Christ and saying, this is why, um, we're doing these things. And do you think people made that connection? Um, I mean, based on not knowing much about Christ. Right. Hopefully. And I think, you can never walk away from those conversations saying, oh, yeah, victory, you know, mm-hmm. you just don't know. And I think that's why we have to be sensitive to the spirit and to know when to, when to talk and when not to. Did you have any other experiences in that regard where you could just, A, tell that something was connecting or B, mm-hmm. had no idea and just had to deal with it? Both, both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think maybe sometimes it would just connect or click a little bit more with people who knew someone that had a disability or a child with disability, or maybe they were like somehow orphaned within their family, like maybe they were raised by their grandparents, mm-hmm. something like that. If they had some sort of personal understanding, then it usually clicked a little more. Mm. Um, just like with anything, though, you know, just a experience better, helps. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, so, and you know, it depended on the person, it depended on. Um, how much time you had, like whether you're like standing in the grocery market or, you know, waiting for a subway to come, like, and you have two minutes or whether, or you're like sitting down after, you know, a service or sitting in the park and you have 20 minutes Hmm. to kind of share. So before I kind of go into like the last few questions here, just sort of follow a question that Christianity is not illegal in China, right? It's just kind of controlled. Right. Is that it? So Um, yes. That's so true. people, when you did share about Christ in any facet or whatever, people were like, oh, my gosh, you're a Christian. That means I should stay away from you because it's illegal. It, it, was, it was just something like it was just controlled and it was kind of like it was kind of uh, made out to be nothing, nothing that you should really care about too much necessarily. Is that, is that, um, is that like what you're describing? And when they meet you, they're yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I should care about this or not, but I'm curious, whatever, you know. Right. Like, was that kind of the reaction typically? Um, I think if you know much about the history of that part of the world, yeah. then, you know, like, there, a lot has happened in the recent history. So depending on the 
age of the person you're talking to, you could maybe guess mm. how mm. they would um, perceive that. Sure. But no, it's not illegal to be a Christian in China. Mm-hmm. Um, it is illegal to like seek out to evangelize. Proselytize and all that right. stuff. Yeah. So um, that is, but... So don't, for you for you to talk about it at all in yeah, public. Yeah, you can talk about what I believe. Um, if you just can't get out of a box and start talking and preaching uh, <laughs> per se. Basically, but you have to be. I mean, we were careful. Naturally, naturally. Um, but it was okay to just like, answer a question or to like share your, at least a little bit about why you're there and your yeah, and your beliefs yeah. and stuff. And people were like, "Oh, that'd be interesting," or just not care kind of thing. Right, and I think the main thing from like the top down perspective of like the government mm-hmm. was don't cause any problems, <laughs> you know, sure. which I mean, I understand that. Like, you know, don't come over and start trying to like make people not believe in patriotism mm-hmm. for their country. So, yeah, and I think, but most people, I think they say, oh, you're American. Like, of course you're Christian. <laughs> Americans are Christians. Interesting. You did you not know that? <laughs> so <laughs> I, it wasn't, I don't think I ever shocked anybody when I was like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe mm. in if they maybe had run into a Christian yeah. previous, um, then they were probably American or mm. Western. So, um, yeah. So I think it just depended on the person. So there was definitely that perspective depended on their age, maybe. Never, you know, not, I won't want to say never, but I don't think there was ever, like, hostile. Okay. Like, no, anti-Christian. Like, no, ever, like... I never was like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared <laughs> because I just told this person. Yeah. Um, had to be careful. Sure. Had yeah. Which careful. I'm sure that your your team and your organization trained you on a little bit and how mm-hmm. to approach that, right? So. Yeah. So in light of that, uh, why do you think it's important that our generation, we'll just say the 20s somethings of the world right now of, of America anyway, mm-hmm. should go overseas? Uh, those who uh, uh, us 20 somethings who believe in Christ and mm-hmm. these redeeming power and such. What? Why do you think it's important they go overseas? Gosh, well, for one, because Jesus said so. <laughs> um, Sunday school answer. Just kidding. Very no. simple than that. No. Yeah, right. I mean, like, kind of what I said before, like, we're in this age where it's easy to travel. It's fun to travel. It's kind of, you know, before when people went overseas, it was like, okay, see you in 20 years or not, you know, so... Yeah. We have this ability now to be connected worldwide um, mm-hmm. via technology, via, you know, airplanes. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think that we're in a time where it's really easy. So and God wants to use people from these different places to connect. And it just shows his power and I think gives him glory um, to be like, I brought this person from this far mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. Um, got over all these barriers and boundaries um, with like this seed of love, mm-hmm. you know, and like, look, like, look at this friendship that's turned into a belief in Christ. So, yeah, I just think the important thing for 20 somethings is we we are the generation right now. Like we're, we're adults and um, adulting. <laughs> It's not. (laughs) I mean, like, life is about more than paying bills and finding a career and Mm. this and that. So I think, you know, we can't lose that that drive that the the generations before us had, that they were willing to give up home and country for Mm -hmm. 20 years Mm -hmm. to go overseas, you know. I think we're not necessarily being asked to do that 
anymore with technology and things. Um, but we still have to have that same just transformational power inside of us that drives us to go overseas. So let's say a listener just heard everything you just said. Right. And suddenly they're like considering. Oh. <laughs> considering doing what you just did or, right. you know, going overseas anywhere. Yes. What would you tell that person who's now considering doing missions work? I'd say if you're considering doing missions work, number one, don't count it as coincidence. You know, if you're listening to this, if, you know, you're talking to somebody about doing missions work, like God brought these people, brought these things into your life on purpose. Um, He's that powerful and cares that much about getting people overseas that he can let you hear a podcast at the right Mm. time of your life. Um, So, yeah, don't count it as coincidence and pursue it. Look into it. If doors open, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and see what see where God leads you. Um, yeah, don't be afraid of asking stupid questions. Um, if, <laughs> you're, you if you're not familiar with that, with this life, then, you know, that's not a big deal. You have to start somewhere. I mean, missions life. Yeah, missions life. So, yeah. Going life. The going life. <laughs> the goer's life. The goer's life. So, yeah, just ask. Research. Um, research. Go to the website. <laughs> which, which one? Uh, www.gocore.org. <laughs> it's a good place to start, right? Yeah. Cool. So finally then, what are you doing now and how can we be praying for you? Oh, man. So right now I am actually going on staff with GoCore. Whoa! <laughs> Didn't know it, but we're coworkers Yeah. Now. So going on staff, going to be recruiting, mobilizing, helping people, answering their questions. Yeah, just hopefully being able to share my story in the last two years of um, how God's worked through my life and through me in Northeast Asia to help maybe help someone out there make the next step to themselves going to continue the work. Cool. Is that all you're going to be doing is just working for GoCore? Right. Um, <coughs> for now, yeah. So then after that, I have this like five-year plan that Ooh, I'll, be five back, years. I'll be back overseas um, serving as a doctor okay. of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my five-year plan, but I know how God likes plans. So. <laughs> Let alone five years. Uh, right. So. so, yeah. So my next, you know, earlier I was like, yeah, just put one foot in front of the other. Um, sure. My next step is to just be going on staff with GoCore and seeing how that turns out. But yeah, would you definitely you, be praying uh, for me in that. <laughs> definitely. What else would you like prayer for that for the listeners to? And I'm not just talking yourself. I'm talking, you know, China. Talking about the team there. What would you? What do you think they need? Yeah. For? So I mean, I guess in this you know short time we've talked about um, the number of people in uh, that part of the world, and we've talked about orphans. Um, definitely, compassion work for orphans is heavy on my heart all the time. So. Yeah, just pray for the orphan crisis. Um, if you're not feeling called to missions, but you feel called to um, research the orphan crisis, then, man, pray about that. That'd be, we need prayers. People that are doing that work, they need prayers, and they need the strength that comes from that. So yeah, pray for the orphan. Pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. Pray, pray straightforward. Uh, how about the yeah. team over there? Yeah, heck yeah. Don't just pray for my team. Pray for all the workers. Mm-hmm. I think that's, it's hard to feel once you're on the field to be like, they forgot about me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So don't forget about the people who have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, pray for them and pray for the people that they've left behind, their mm-hmm. families and their friends. And if you are considering being that person, then yeah, just 
I think you'll probably feel like, yeah, I'd want someone to pray for my family if I left. Mm -hmm. Um, So just consider that when you're thinking about, you know, who do I pray for today? Um, Pray for if you're, you know, praying for the lost, but you don't know where to start. I'd suggest like Joshua Project app. Um, You can download it on your phone and then just yeah it's a pretty nice app to use yeah and every day you get a different people group that yeah comes up um what about know, the chinese church use something like that did you know of anyway we didn't talk about it much but um yeah i mean there's china is huge in that part of the world um is it's got so much going on so man just first thing you could do for that is do your own research mm-hmm. don't believe everything you see on the <laughs> internet yeah gain your own understanding of some things and then listen to the holy spirit pray as you feel led and finally for yourself what do you want to pray for obviously you're gonna go on staff go court but anything personally other than that right um i have to reintroduce to that phase of fundraising so mm. yeah that i would just remember my lessons learned <laughs> um right yeah i'd be trusting i'm excited about transitioning back to america so yeah Thank you for listening to A New Kind of Goer. And uh, until next time, adios. Let's say it in Mandarin. How do you say, wh- wh- say what? Uh, bye. It's I basically see you later, but it's zaijian. Say it again. Zaijian. There you go. <laughs>